Imagine if there was a scientist right now who knew how to stop the virus, but just chose not to use that knowledge. Yeah. We would think that person was, uh, uh, you know, morally deficient. Right. And yet some people think that God has the kind of power to stop it and chooses not to. Friends, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is the What If Project, and it's good to have you here. Uh, this is episode number 87, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Women's Voices You Need to Hear, and we're up to part number nine, uh, but we're hitting the pause button on the series this week because we're also in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has grown progressively worse over the last uh, couple of weeks. And as it has grown and spread, so have many social media posts. I don't know if you've come across these from more conservative thinking Christians who insist that the pandemic is God's judgment on humanity. So I saw one post that blames gay people. You know, if gay people would just repent of their apparent sin, uh, the pandemic would go away. I saw another post that blames Jewish people. They don't. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah, so it's their fault. God is mad. Um, I saw another post that blames people who don't go to church, don't read your Bible enough. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. Everybody's trying to scapegoat somebody else to pin the blame on them. Uh, for for the virus. And so I've gotten a lot of messages from people who are wrestling with their theology. You know, around the pandemic, they're wondering if these sorts of posts on social media hold any value. You know, are they just fear tactics? Are they true, kind of true? Is God mad? Is he really mad? Is he kind of mad? You know, can he stop this? If he can, why doesn't he? Like all sorts of questions. So we're hitting the pause button on the women's series today. Uh, to talk to my friend Thomas Ord. He's been on the podcast two other times. He wrote a book about a year ago called God Can't, where he tackles the problem of evil and gives some really fresh uh, perspective on why bad things happen in the world. So I sent him an email, I think it was last Monday. He emailed me back right away. We spoke on Thursday, and so this episode is literally hot off the press. And uh, so I'm going to, we're going to roll right into it in just a moment. Um, I'm not going to talk to you about Patreon, but I do want to mention the What If Project community that we have on Facebook. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, please do. The link will be in the show notes. And really, this is just a, this is a gathering of people who are in various different spots on their spiritual journey, asking questions, expressing doubts, and everybody's just in there sharing their thoughts, sharing their resources, encouraging one another, cheering each other on. There's been a lot of solid dialogue uh, these last few weeks around the pandemic, around the questions we're going to be tackling um, in this episode. Um, can God stop this? Why is God letting this happen? All these different kind of things. So if if you're at this spot in your life where you're rethinking things, asking questions uh, in a wilderness of sorts, feeling kind of alone, uh, this is a place where you can find some companions. So please uh, go to the show notes, click the link, 
uh, just go to Facebook, search What If Project Community, and it will it will show up there. We would love to see you there and uh, bring you into, um, into this family that we are building here. There's about 160 people, I guess, in the group, and I would say about, I don't know, 60, 70 are, are fairly active on a regular basis. So it's a great place to slide in, um, read some stuff, catch up, share some thoughts, and uh, I think it will be good for for you. So special music today is from my friend uh, DJ K-Dot. Uh, we work together, and she has a great, great spirit. She's super encouraging, very talented uh, young woman, and one of my favorite human beings. I mean, she's just a pleasure to work with on a regular basis, and uh, she's always there with a, a positive word for you. So uh, go show her some love. Uh, she's on Apple Music. She's on Spotify. She's all over the place. While you're quarantined this week, uh, listen to her music and uh, pass it around on your social media platform. So that said, thanks again for dropping by. Uh, This is episode number 87, and it's my talk with Thomas Ord about making sense of God and faith in the midst of COVID-19. Enjoy. I know that there's something so special about you and me, babe. You got me, you got me, you got me feeling fine. So just say the words cause you know what it means to me, babe. When you got me, you got me, you got me feeling right. Your eyes, your eyes hypnotize me, baby. I Friends, welcome back to the podcast. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, we are interrupting our series, uh, Women's Voices You Need to Hear, this week to bring to the table an important conversation with one of my favorite thinkers, uh, theologians, who has now visited the podcast three times, uh, Thomas Ord. So welcome back, my friend. It's an honor to have you here. Hey, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, me too. So, uh, man, wh- where do I begin? Uh, for our listeners, Thomas Thomas wrote a book called God Can't that he talked to us about uh, over a year ago. And so I thought it would be kind of an interesting topic to bring back to the surface this week as the COVID-19 pandemic is sweeping across the globe. Uh, The county next to mine actually just put a mandatory 21-day shelter in place into effect. Uh, My county, from what I gather, is making a similar announcement um, as we speak. They're holding a press conference. Um, New York City, obviously, disaster area. It's been a heart-wrenching couple of weeks. Um, So, Thomas, I guess first thing I'll ask you is before we get into anything theological is how are are you? How are you? How is your family? How is your town, your city that you're in? What's going on? Yeah, I'm doing well personally, family members. I don't think I know anybody personally who's even uh, contracted the virus. Uh, I'm in Idaho, and -hmm. and, uh, Idaho, the governor just yesterday announced the uh, shelter in place uh, for the state, but it's fairly flexible. You know, you can go out and exercise, uh, you know, obviously get groceries, that sort of thing. I've been out hiking since I enjoy the the outdoors and I'm a photographer as well. So I'm getting out and about and um, doing well. Yeah. I see your, your pictures all around. Yeah. That's what I enjoy doing. I 
for, well, there's a number of reasons why I like to get out and make photographs, uh, but it's especially important these days because uh, the gym that I'm usually at is closed down, so I can't work out there, and I'm yep. sitting around the house a lot, so I got to get out and get some exercise. Right. Now, you posted a picture the other day of, uh, I think it's of a coach house. Was that, was that what it was? Um, a coach house. Oh, 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 a stage coach. Stage coach yeah. house. Sorry. Yes. 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 The, uh, the last uh, running stagecoach stop in Idaho. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Of course, there's a lot of nowhere in Idaho, but yeah. this particular spot is especially remote. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool set of ruins. The roof has caved in. It burned 25 years ago or so, hmm. but the, the outside structure is still in place and it looks like an, you know, an, an ancient medieval ruin or something. Now, is that um, something that's like protected by like a historical society or... Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So it's just <laughs> out there. Of, yeah. Lots of neat things in Idaho that don't have any protection, but very few people know about it. So they're not in any, any real danger. Gotcha. Well, um, again, thank you for making the time to chat with me. I think uh, you're going to have a lot of helpful insights to share with our listeners. And uh, one of the things I've seen blowing up my Facebook feed these last few days is this, this post that's being copy pasted and shared uh, among many of my more evangelical friends, and a lot of people who listen to the podcast have actually reached out to me, uh, very concerned about the theology behind the post. And so I wanted to to read the post to you and ask you to respond to it, because I can't think of a better person in the world to talk to me about this uh, than you. So that sound mm. good with you? Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. So I'm going to read it. I pull it up here on my screen. It says, in three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, uh, God has taken away everything that we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I will shut down the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I will shut down the civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down the theaters. You want to worship money? I will shut down the economy and I will collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I will make it where you can't go to church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Maybe we don't need a vaccine. Maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that really matters, Jesus. It's time for the nation to turn their hearts back to Jesus and pray, read your Bible, copy and taste. Now, these words, Thomas, seem to imply a lot of things, um, so much that I don't really even know where to begin the discussion, but I'll start with that, <laughs> yeah. first, that first line. In three short months, it says, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. Now, talk to me, if you would, about that statement in particular, um, in light of your book, God Can't, where you kind of tackle this question of the problem of evil. Like this post seems to be saying that God caused the pandemic. He's at least allowing it to happen. And I don't know, like help us make sense of this thing. Yeah. I reject both the idea that God is causing the pandemic or even that God is allowing it. If mm. by allow, we mean that God could single-handedly stop it. And I, I, I also find lots of aspects of this quote interesting. And I'm happy you started with the worship uh, feature. Yeah. Um, uh, let me talk about something that I don't usually talk about, um, and that is what God's ultimate motivations might be. Mm. Now, some people think God's ultimately motivated 
to be worshipped. God's all about me, 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 me. It's like a narcissistic God. Give me yeah. all the credit. Give me all the glory. It's all about me. If, you, if you're focused on anything other than me, then you know, I'm angry with you and I'm going to punish you. Mm. I start from a very different beginning. I start with the idea that God is a God of love, who's not all about me, me, me. It's all about give, give, give. How can I help others? How can I promote the well-being of all creation, humans and others as well? If we start from that standpoint of love, love for others, rather than some sort of self, uh, self, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, focus on self. I'll just sure, say, sure, self-centeredness. Yeah, self-centeredness. Yeah, there's a good word. Uh, I think we come up with a very different understanding of who God is, and then that will shape the way we think God is acting in the world. Hmm. So it's not so much that God is looking for us to give all of our attention to him as much as it is that God is looking to um, the best interest of his creation. Yeah, yeah. Think about it. You know, sometimes philosophers and actually everyday folk will talk about means and ends. Ends are the ultimate things we're aiming at and means are the way we get to them. Hmm. Do we think that the ultimate end God has in mind is for some kind of, uh, you know, self-centered worship? Hmm. Or do we think that our worship for God is a means toward a, a greater end, and that is love? Hmm. In other words, when God asks us to worship God, it might not be because God primarily is interested in getting praise and feeling, you know, having God's self-esteem improve for the day. It might mean that God realizes that when we worship God, when we focus on who God is, what God is up to, and I think these things are primarily relate, uh, oriented around love, that we actually benefit when we worship from God. Hmm. So our worship is not primarily for God's sake. It's primarily for our own sake and for the sake of creation. Hmm. If we have that view in, God, in mind, then it's hard to think that God is causing or allowing a coronavirus. Now, in light of your book, um, God Can't, a lot of people have said, well, if God is all powerful, then he could stop this from happening. He could make it go away. Um, if he's working for our good, if he's working on our behalf, if he wants to see us you know, alive and thrive, so to speak, you know, he could make this stop. Like, what, what is your response to that in light of your book? Well, I have a, a number of responses, but sometimes I just like to come straight out and be blunt and say, how's that idea working for you? Mm. If God has the capacity to single-handedly stop evil of all forms, whether it be torture, murder, rape, genocide, plagues, disease, and God is not doing so, then uh, boy, it sure seems like God is not a very loving God. Mm. Uh, the idea that God has that kind of power, but is somehow choosing not to use it, is just one that people who are survivors and victims, people who've been harmed, they have a hard time swallowing if, in fact, we think God is a God of love. Mm. So, um, yeah, you know, of course, other people, people who have that view might respond with, well, God's not stopping COVID-19 and other evils because God's trying to teach us a lesson. And, I, and I, I take this particular situation with the coronavirus and ask, uh, 
who's really learning a lesson here? <laughs> you mm. know, it's, it's the elderly, it's the vulnerable, it's the poorest of the poor who are going to be the most adversely select, uh, affected. And I have a hard time believing that that group of people are also the, the worst at co- when it comes to worshiping God or uh, that they need to have some sort of lesson uh, learned or taught. Mm. Yeah, well, think, I think the thing that rubbed me the wrong way about this, this copy-paste thing, and there's obviously a lot of things in there, but it, it makes it seem like, paints this picture of God as like this kid with a magnifying glass, you know, and like, we're the ants. And <laughs> yeah. like he's, he's just kind of like, you know, taking out his frustrations on these innocent ants, and it just makes God out to be this bully in the sky, and almost like this almost like a toddler is throwing a temper tantrum because he's not getting right. enough attention right. from, from everybody around him. And it just seems like when I look at, when I look at that and I compare that to, you know, the life of Christ and I put those two things side by side, like if Jesus is the, is the exact representation of God and this is who God is, this copy paste thing, then Jesus did a really lousy job <laughs> at, <laughs> at representing that God, right? <laughs> exactly. Or, or maybe we could even, I like your, your Jesus-focused uh, response. Let's, let's imagine that Jesus was on earth right now. Mm. And then in some strange way, Jesus has the capacity to single-handedly prevent this virus from spreading, that Jesus could stop it. Now, if you think Jesus is a God is uh, someone who loves, um, I'm guessing you're going to have a hard time thinking Jesus says, "Well, hey, I'm just going to let this thing run amok, kill mm-hmm. a bunch of people, injure a whole lot more." I mean, that's not the Jesus I read of in Scripture. Yeah. And so, if you think Jesus would not allow a virus that Jesus could stop, and if you think Jesus is our best representation of what God is like then why think God is allowing it or even causing it to punish us? Hmm. A lot of the answers I've been seeing on Facebook are like in these discussions. Like I go, th- I go through comment sections a lot and I don't say anything. I just like to read people's comments. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like that Michael Jackson gif on there eating the popcorn. I just like to see what people are saying. <laughs> but one of the things that have come up a lot, especially from the evangelical camp, and I know this used to be my answer is, well, God is sovereign. Yeah, And so we don't understand why he's allowing this to happen here, but one day on the other side of heaven, we'll understand it. And I think that that answer is kind of like a bandaid on the problem. You know, looking yeah, back on it, the when I used to give that answer, that used to make me feel better. But once yeah. I started to take the bandaid off and really look at it, I'm like, it doesn't really do anything to the wound underneath. It just kind of festers. No. No, it's retaining a classical view of God's controlling power and then appealing to mystery. Usually mm. people will add on, we'll know by and by, or we'll know once we get to heaven. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, that mystery card just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I don't want to claim that I've got God figured out entirely. I'm not, you know, a know-it-all, whatever. Sure. But I think we need to offer plausible explanations for what we see happening in the world and in light of how we understand Scripture. And I understand Scripture as pointing to a God of love. Mm. And so saying that God somehow has the power sovereignly to stop something but allows it just runs in contradiction, in yeah. tension with this notion that God really loves everyone all the time. Yeah. I wrote a a blog post the other day and I titled it a letter to the God I used to believe in. 
And, oh, beautiful. And I kind of tackled this whole thing that, that we're talking about. And I said in the, in the letter, I said, you know, they call you a, a father. They call you a good, good father as the song goes. Mm-hmm. And, but yet I was taught to believe that you are this being that has the power to stop all of these terrible things. And so I, I think of myself as a good father, but if my daughter was getting raped and I'm in the room or I have the power to stop something, I'm not just going to sit there and do nothing. And so it just makes right. me like, when I think about that, like it feels good to have a systematic theology in place where God is this all powerful being. But when you put it into everyday situations, such as, you know, this pandemic that we're in, where it's growing worse by the day. I mean, New York hospitals, they just said, I think 13 people died yesterday. Like it's getting out of hand, but like if God can stop it and he's not like that, like I hate to say it, but that makes God out to be like a monster. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if there was a scientist right now who knew how to stop the virus, but just chose not to use that knowledge. Yeah. We would think that person was, uh, uh, you know, morally deficient. Right. And yet some people think that God has the kind of power to stop it and chooses not to. Right. Then, it's like, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's like, he's not like if a scientist had the solution, but was holding it out for money. It's the same thing. Like God has the solution, but he's holding it out for attention. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for praise and worship. <laughs> right, yeah, it makes right, no right. sense at all. Yeah. I'll, I'll be blunt. I can't worship a God who would act like that. I, yeah. I physically, emotionally, mentally can't worship a being who is deficient morally. And that seems like the kind of being many people saying uh, exists and is allowing this, this virus. Yeah. And then uh, looking back at this copy paste thing again, um, uh, even another like bigger concern for me is all of this stuff that we just talked about is seems to be anchored in this Old Testament passage in Chronicles uh, chapter two, where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That opens up like another problem, right? Because about how we read the Bible, because when I read that, I'm thinking, is it, is it fair to lift that verse out of its context just because it sounds convicting and it is convicting when it's read like that and apply it to a pandemic in 2020? Like, I feel like that's just a, a giant misuse of the Bible and maybe forces it to carry a weight that it's not prepared to carry. So do you have any thoughts about, about that, like how the Bible comes into play? In all of this, I have a lot of thoughts, and these <laughs> thoughts, <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> what I'm about to say might trouble some of your listeners. Probably other listeners are going to be overjoyed, but it's <laughs> going to be controversial. All right, well, they're used to that on here, so you're good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is, or there are stories and passages in Scripture that people can pick up and quote that seem to suggest that God sometimes either causes or allows evil. Mm. Um, I believe that the overall themes of scripture, the overall drift, the majority of passages and stories, and especially the revelation of God in Jesus points to a God of perfect love who never causes or allows evil. Mm. But I've read the Bible and there are some passages that suggest otherwise. Mm. So what do you do with a Bible that doesn't seem to have a consistent theme in terms of portraying God as a God of love? 
Well, one option is to uh, sort of cut all the things out of the Bible you don't like. Uh, that's what Thomas Jefferson did. <laughs> it's like a Swiss uh, cheese Bible. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Another option, and the one I think a lot of people go to if they want to, if they want to, you know, uh, uh, maintain this certain honoring and uh, appreciation for the Bible, is they'll say something like, "Well, you know, God is a holy God. God is a just God," and by that they mean that justifies how God can sometimes do evil or allow evil or mm. get mad and punish people, etc. Um, it sounds kind of like God's sort of the, uh, the alcoholic stepfather who on Friday and Saturday nights will kick your butt, but right. the rest of the week is a pretty nice guy, you know, mm. um, or God has some kind of split personality disorder. Um, I don't find that at all helpful or comforting. Mm. So I'm a person who is willing to say that we should go with what seems to be the overall drift of Scripture and say that some of the passages that present God as being unloving, that suggest something other than the overall drift, that those passages just simply get God wrong. That the people writing them misunderstood who God is, just like people misunderstand today. I used to be a person who was so worried about making sure the Bible was so internally consistent and there was no errors or contradictions that I would look at a passage like the one you quoted or, or the passage in the Psalms in which the psalmist thinks that God wants them to bash the baby's heads against the mm. rocks. I used to look at those and sort of turn my head and squint and say, well, I know God's a God of love, so that must be a loving thing in God's mysterious plan. But today I just say, you know what? I think there's a better way to take the Bible seriously. And that is to say, the Bible isn't dictated and it's not exactly what God wants. There are people who write it who sometimes understood God well, but other times understood God poorly. And those passages and stories of Scripture that paint God as unloving just don't fit with the overall themes of Scripture. Yeah, I think when I, in my, in my past, I used to use the Bible. I think Brian McLaren talks about like a lawyer or like a constitution mm -hmm. where you kind of mm -hmm. take out pieces or articles or stories or verses or whatever, and you read them um, and you build your case with those things. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I think like you said, it's now I'm starting to see it as what does the arc of scripture have to teach us? What is the, the larger story of the text? And I feel like um, if you look at the Bible, like you look at the Old Testament, you see a lot of those passages, like you said, that are quite disturbing. If you read through like Judges, if you read through um, like the conquest of Canaan and all these other yes. things, like some, and some of the Psalms, I mean, it's just like this, God, you're kind of terrible, you know, like when, when, you, when you read those right. things. But if you think about it, like the, the culture that these people lived in, like the gods and other cultures, everybody viewed gods as the warring gods. Like they're these warlords who are on the side yep. of their people. They want to con conquer land, conquer people, kill women, children, men, whatever. And so they're trying to make sense of Yahweh in the midst of all these other cultural voices around them. So it makes sense that they're going to describe God using the only language they have. But yet at the same time, you see these these bright spots, I think, in the stories of this God is very different than the other gods and the other right. cultures. And I think that when you get to Jesus, again, back to Jesus, it's almost like he's the explanation point saying, 
you thought this is what God was like. You had it right here, there, and here, but I'm going to show you once and for all what he's really like. I and like is, that. Yeah. yeah. This is where we go from here. Yeah. I agree. And, and here I want to uh, actually bring into the conversation a good friend of mine named Greg Boyd. Hmm. Uh, he has uh, several books. One of the more recent one is called The Crucifixion of the Warrior God. And he and I agree on a lot of things, but we disagree on a point that's relevant here. And perhaps some of your listeners would be interested in this yeah. disagreement. He thinks, he uses the word accommodate. He thinks that God accommodated to the understanding and worldview of, um, for instance, the Old Testament writers who thought of God as a warrior and violent, etc. And God allowed them to think that, accommodated to their worldview when mm -hmm. in the scriptures. But eventually we see God most fully in Jesus and Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection. Uh, I agree that we see God most clearly in Jesus, but that word accommodate always troubles me mm. because it sounds to me like God has the power to give a crystal clear, unambiguous revelation of who God is, but God is choosing or allowing people to have misunderstandings about who God is when God could have you know, just made it simple and clear. Mm. I think we should make the stronger claim that God simply can't control others to provide a crystal clear unambiguous revelation mm. because if we thought god could make it totally clear even to the old testament writers and we think that this revelation is part of what we need to have abundant life then we are once again placing into question of whether or not god is perfectly loving mm. and i don't want to do that and i believe and correct me if i'm wrong but in your book you talk about how you know, the reason that God can't do some things, perhaps like stop this pandemic, is because God is, God is loving and he has given humanity free will. And so for him to act in a way that is against that free will or overrides that free will would be an unloving act. And so therefore, at the heart of it is the reason why God can't do some things. Do I have that correct? Yeah, you've got it mostly correct, but there's another element I want to add. So okay. yes, it's God's love that is inherently uncontrolling. And that means that amongst free will creatures, God gives free will to them and can't control them. Hmm. But I also think God loves the lesser creatures of reality, the lesser entities, beings. Even I think God loves the coronavirus. Hmm. Now that means if God's love is inherently uncontrolling, not even God can stop the coronavirus single-handedly. Hmm. And some people ask, well, hold on a second. What does it mean to love a virus? Right, right, right. That might be the title of this episode. God loves yeah. the coronavirus. <laughs> yes, that, that's not a bad title at all. Right. Uh, one of the things I like to say to begin is to, to remind folks that to say you love something doesn't mean that you necessarily like what that thing or person is doing. Mm. So, you know, we might, we love our children, even when they're disobedient to us, we love the rapist, but we don't like the raping. Um, so we can say we can love vi God loves viruses without liking what this virus is doing. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't know that less than 1% of the viruses in the world are considered pathogens. In other words, considered negative or diseases. 
the vast majority of what viruses do are helpful and beneficial. Hmm. And so um, I think God wants to work with all creation, gives its existence moment by moment, loves it, and as part of that love is calling it in whatever ways is possible to do what's good for the whole, to promote overall well-being. And so therefore, God's love for the coronavirus is not that God's really enjoying all the, the problems that the coronavirus is uh, inflicting on the world, but God's love involves wanting the coronavirus to act in the ways appropriate for that virus to promote the well-being of the world instead of undermining it. Mm, wow. Well, for our listeners, there's a curveball. <laughs> I'm going to let you all process <laughs> for, for a little bit. Um, speak for a moment to the person who, uh, like, like myself, came out of this evangelical background. And one of the things that I really value from my background is the deep appreciation that I received for the Bible. Um, Good. You know, reading my Bible daily, having my you know, morning devotions. Um, I came away from school, from my upbringing, with a very deep appreciation for the scriptures. And so... Talk to that person. Yeah. So talk to that person who feels the same way and they're home now for perhaps another 21 days and they have their Bible, maybe sitting on their shelf. Maybe they read it every day. Maybe they don't read it every day. Um, But if it's not speaking about judgment, it's not speaking that God is angry, all these things, point them in the direction of where they could go um, in the morning to maybe spend some time in the scriptures. What are some good passages to be reading um, these days? Um, in light of all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's lots of my favorite passages I could point them to, but I think just in general, I think we need to be reading the scriptures with uh, uh, an open mind, an open heart, Mm. uh, praying and asking God to give us insights. But um, I'm always a little worried if people give the impression that they read the Bible as if they're not influenced by others. Hmm. I think we're always influenced by our community, by our society, by our background, et cetera. And so the key is to try to find influences or conversation partners that are going to help us discern what the Spirit might be saying as we read Scripture. Hmm. And for me, that's been uh, the community of people who know the Bible the best, the scholars. And you can find resources online or books, et cetera. I also like to remind people that if you go back in the history of Scripture, the people who have spent the most time with Scripture and seem to understand it best are often Jewish rabbis. Yep. And if you look at the, what the rabbis have done with Scripture, they haven't uh, walked around as if it's a proof text or, you know, what, did, what was the analogy you used earlier? Winning a legal argument. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> like a lawyer. Yes. They've debated with it. They've wrestled with it. They've Mm. argued with it. They've offered all kinds of alternative and sometimes conflicting explanations of what might be going on. It's an ongoing uh, wrestling, working, gleaning new insights. It's not some sort of legal document floating down from heaven. Mm. You have that approach. I think you can, you can find more help than otherwise. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I think it was Richard Rohr who talked about how the scriptures are like a like a diamond, and no matter what way you turn it, depending on where how the light hits it, it's always going to magnify something different, show you something different. Some sides might contradict the other sides, but you know it's as beautiful 
um, image and there's so many different things that we can get out of it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I also like to say, um, when you read scripture, try to ask questions about what other passages of scripture say on the topic at hand. Mm. So, you know, when you read the passages that have God wanting the genocide of all the Canaanites, you know, keep in mind also that God is the one who says we're always supposed to forgive and love our enemies. And then ask yourself, can we reconcile these two things? Or are we going to have to make some difficult choices and choose one over the other? And uh, one of the things I'll throw out there, I don't know if you've uh, come across this, um, but for our listeners is there's a, a commentary, I actually have it on my desk called Feasting on the Word. Um, and it's edited by Barbara Brown Taylor and David Bartlett. And it's actually a commentary for the uh, lectionary. And it's meant for pastors and people who are preaching on a regular basis. But what I love about this commentary set is every passage has four different interpretations. So oh, they invite nice. different people, kind of like yourself with some of your books, where you invite people, different thinkers to come in and write um, about a particular yeah. topic. Every passage has four different people who write from four different points of view about the same passage. So you kind of come away sometimes like, well, this person said something very different than this person, but yet maybe they're both right. So I like that. Yeah. So uh, last question. Um, I had a few people reach out to me um, who are in this season of deconstructing, reconstructing. Um, they're maybe came from a more conservative background. They're now thinking, leaning more progressive, but they're kind of in the muddy water trying to figure it all out. And given the, the kind of current events of the world, uh, they said that they find a lot of their old theology making its way back into their thinking as they try to process all these things that are going on, like maybe God is mad, maybe this is a sign of the end times, you know, maybe Jesus is coming back soon, maybe I should repent, get my act together, get my tribulation charts out from, you know, the book of Revelation <laughs> and try to figure out what's going on. Um, and some people are building a lot of anxiety. I've had people say, like, they have stomach issues, they're having nightmares. Like, what is your advice to them as they struggle to remain true, I guess is the best way to say it, to their evolution of faith? as their present circumstances kind of bring up all of these memories, all these teachings that they've begun to try to move beyond in their faith. Yeah. I, I can really relate to that uh, yeah, because yeah. I also grew up very conservative, uh, mm. quasi fundamentalist. Yeah. And so um, in fact, I was recently kind of going through and looking at some of the most influential theologians today who are considered progressive or even liberal and almost every one of them grew up conservative. Mm. So um, there's lots of folks who have gone down the path you're going down and have come to a place, you know, the path of uh, deconstruction and have come to a place where they feel like they have, uh, uh, feel, have a better understanding of who God is and uh, feel good about where they are theologically. I'd also want to say that uh, it's totally natural Mm. Totally natural to have those feelings and ideas come back at these kinds of times of trauma and crisis. Uh, my own wife uh, was taught when she was younger, somebody told her that Jesus was going to come back on New Year's Day. Mm. And now, you know, 40 some years later, every New Year's, even though she doesn't believe that kind of theology, that kind of eschatology, she still feels kind of weird on, you know, New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah. um, those are things that cognitively we can say don't make any sense, but have 
are kind of still in our bones mm. and they have to work their way out over time. And so I say to those folks who are going through a process of deconstructing and hopefully reconstructing that it's totally natural to have those old ideas, those old habits of thought continue to exert some influence on us. So don't beat yourself up. Also continue to work toward ideas and ways of living that make a whole lot more sense theologically mm. and just a whole lot more sense practically. It's really good. I, I think for myself, like I, I, I feel the same way. Like I feel like as all this stuff has started happening, you know, first with the virus stuff, and then there's been a couple of earthquakes that have popped up here and there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's been a few weeks ago, we had um, tornadoes kind of come through our area, which never happens. And so in my mind, I'm like, Oh man, like, this yeah. is all the stuff that I learned when I was growing up, you know, like maybe it all is true. Like it's all happening at once. And like those feelings come back. And I think yep. it's important to just take a deep breath and try to process, try to, try to allow yourself, try, try to allow your mind to almost expand and make room for what's going on in the context of what you're now learning to believe or you're learning to think a little bit differently. Yeah, that's well yeah. put. Yeah. I think too, like, you know, don't, don't go at it alone. Right. Like I think, I think like in these times, especially when we're all, you know, we should be in our homes and things like that. Like, you know, we, you and I were just talking before about, we should have bought stock and zoom, you know, or Skype or or something (laughs) like, you know, hop on a phone call with somebody, you know, somebody who's in the same place that you're in, hop on a video call, you know, jump in a Facebook group, like our Facebook group and ask your questions, get other people's insights because everybody else, if you're thinking this stuff, other people are probably thinking it too. So like, like Thomas said, like, you're not alone. You're not weird. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, but bring those things to the surface. Don't stuff them down, uh, voice them and allow other people to give their perspective. Yeah. And I think that's one of the ministries your podcast provides, but there's also all kinds of other uh, resources and possibilities via social media. Um, you know, I, I personally went through a major deconstructive constructive work and, the beginnings of reconstruction in my mid twenties and I'm 50 mm. something now. Uh, we didn't have social media then, <laughs> but right. I felt super isolated. My little, little farming town in Washington state, <laughs> right. you know, asking these questions. I had books to read, but uh, now use social media uh, to uh, help you in the deconstructive and reconstructing process. Yeah. And that's a really good point is, is that I remember when I first started kind of voicing my questions and things started, felt like a Jenga tower where, you know, the bottom block yes. came out and things started just to yeah. fall down. I remember tweeting like Brian McLaren, uh, thinking mm. he would never answer me, but he did. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something to say that, you know, for our listeners, if you have a question, don't be afraid to go out and find somebody who might know the answer and reach out to them on social media because they might very well see your tweet and they might be very inclined to reach out to you and to dialogue with you a little bit. Don't go out of yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, that actually reminds me of something I was going to mention before we started the podcast, but I'll, I'll mention it now. Sure. Uh, you've talked about this recent book, God Can't, that I wrote that's yeah. been selling really well and helping people. Well, I'm, I'm actually uh, halfway or maybe not quite halfway uh, in the midst of doing an audio book uh, called God Can't Questions and Answers. Oh, yeah. So um, when that's available, I'd love to let you know about that. And I, I mentioned it because that might be a resource 
for your listeners as they work through these issues, uh, not only in terms of evil, but just in general? That would be really good. Um, I will put, I'll put the link to the book, God Can't, uh, in the show notes with all your stuff there um, as well. And we're just about out of time, uh, but thank you. Again, this has been super uh, helpful for me. So thank you for taking time for me, especially on short notice. I emailed you the other day and, and here we are. <laughs> Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I want to help people in whatever way I can. Thank you. And uh, before you go, um, where can people find you online? Maybe they do have a question or two they want to ask you. I know you're in our Facebook group. Do you want to give your home address and your phone number? Or <laughs> just, where, where, where can people uh, go to find you uh, online? Well, I'll give you my email address. That's probably okay. uh, the best. T-J-O-O-R-D at N-N-U dot E-D-U. And actually, if you just do a little Google search, it's pretty much uh, available on the internet. So I'm not hard to find. You could go to my uh, website, which is my full name, Thomas J, J-A-Y, Ord, O-O-R-D dot com. Um, yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm fairly accessible online. So if folks have questions, feel free to send them. Perfect. Well, again, I'll put all that in the show notes. And uh, Thomas, thanks again for stopping by. My pleasure. All right, have a good one. You too.
Work. <laughs>